We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Away we go, episode 653 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, September 11, 2023. Was it pretty? No. <laughs> Was it a win? Heck yeah. It would be what happened at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. A rainy and sold out FedEx Field. A loud FedEx Field. A 2016 Commanders regular season opening win over the Arizona Cardinals. We did not get a blowout victory, but we did get a victory. And, you know, in these parts, victories not exactly supremely common with the NFL team of the area. So a victory is what we shall take. Ron Rivera now 3-1 and one in Week 1 games as Washington head coach. Hello and welcome to this Monday Commanders post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode every weekday, Monday through Friday. With each episode out oh so early each weekday morning, this is the podcast that wakes up with you. This is the podcast that follows Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. This is a podcast in which I talk commanders on every show, regardless of the time of year. What an environment 
at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Despite the rain, despite the uh, not-so-good <laughs> performance by the Commander's offense, FedEx Field was on fire. The Commander's first regular season game under the ownership of the Josh Harris Group was a rousing success in terms of atmosphere and energy and positive vibes. The list of big-name people in attendance was like a mile long. The Harris Group hosted a number of Redskins all-time greats at the game, including Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback Sonny Jurgensen, who, along with former Skins quarterbacks Billy Kilmer and Jim Hart, was flown up from Florida via the personal plane of the number two person in the Josh Harris group, Mitchell Rails. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame running back John Riggins was at the game, <laughs> and Rico, when shown on the video board, opened up his sport code to reveal a Redskins logo. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame corner Champ Bailey was at the game. Uh, he posed for a photo with the man for whom he was traded. Former Skins running back Clinton Portis. That was funny. Uh, former Skins quarterback Robert Griffin III was at the game. Capitals winger Alex Ovechkin was at the game. Phoenix Sunstar and big Commanders fan Kevin Durant was at the game. Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid was at the game. A who's who of big time names in sports at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but we also had something like this. The Commanders for this game collaborated with Prince George's County Police the Maryland State Highway Administration, and the Maryland Department of Transportation to temporarily close the right lane of I-495 South at the Arena Drive Interchange. Why? So that fans in lots F and G could get out quickly instead of sitting in traffic trying to leave FedEx Field. How many horror stories over the years have you heard or perhaps even experienced in terms of trying to leave FedEx Field. I've experienced that. Uh, I'd love to hear from those of you who were at the game, uh, if in fact traffic leaving the game was better. But the Josh Harris group effect is being felt. There's no question about that. Uh, coming up on the show, in-depth reaction to and analysis of the Commander's win over the Cardinals. Uh, next segment, a deep dive on the Commander's offense. Was it what we wanted? Heck no. Would we have much preferred the Commanders to have done to the Cardinals what the Dallas Cowboys did to the New York Giants on Sunday Night Football? A 40-0 Cowboys win at the Giants? Heck yeah. Uh, but is there plenty of time for the Commander's offense to get better? Absolutely. I will talk all about the performance of quarterback Sam Howell, the work of the commander's offensive line, the lost fumble by running back Antonio Gibson, and more. Then the following segment, I will discuss the dominance of the commander's defense. The defense led the way. The defense, in a lot of ways, saved the day. Uh, what a job, especially by the commander's defensive line, especially late in the game. Edge defender Montez Sweat and interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Three Warriors. Uh, John and Deron have gotten big money contracts. When are we going to pay Montez? What exactly are we waiting for with this guy? Uh, hey, he at least got a game ball. Uh, Montez managing partner Josh Harris and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio 
got game balls for this game. Uh, this was the commander's locker room after the game. You'll hear Josh Harris get a game ball and then give a speech. And then you'll hear Ron Rivera give game balls to Montez Sweat and Jack Del Rio. And Jack, JDR, then gets compelled to give a speech. Here you go. We're a family. That's one. It's one for the city. It's all you. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. And, and on, on an individual note, he moved into the top ten of sacks. Montez. It takes the whole team. It really does. It takes the whole team. We made a lot of mistakes. We didn't play their best football today. All right? But they played their asses off as a unit. They played their asses off as a group. I want to recognize Jack Rio for that. Yes, sir. We're just getting started, guys. We're just getting started. We got the makings of a team that can do whatever it decides it wants to. I, I love the way we're working, man. Just keep working. And we got each other's back. That's right. right. OD, special teams, yes, all sir. three phases, yes, man. Sir. Come on, whatever sir. we need to do, right? Yes, sir. All right, appreciate y'all. Here we yeah. go. Bring it Team on two. One, two. Team. Team. All right. I always love that. A victorious commander's locker room. Nice to have a victory Monday on this installment of the podcast. Also on the show, the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. And we'll talk nationals, including the latest drama for them with their uh, front office uncertainty and the drama that has become the retirement of starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. And they'll talk about, you know, uh, actual Nats games. Uh, the Nats uh, lost two or three games to the uh, National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park over the weekend. Uh, we'll talk about the American League leading Orioles. Uh, another successful weekend for the O's. They won two or three games at the Boston Red Sox to conclude a 7-2 and two road trip and to get to 90 wins for the 2023 regular season. And I have a college football segment for you, including breakdowns of Maryland's 38-20 win over Charlotte on Saturday night, Virginia's 36-35 loss to James Madison on Saturday afternoon, Virginia Tech's 24-17 loss to Purdue on Saturday, and Navy's 24-0 win over Wagner on Saturday. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the commander's win over the Cardinals. Email from Dr. CCB, writes the doctor. Opening game day, my auntie and I were there, and the atmosphere was lit. Man, I don't think I had seen FedEx Field like that ever. Not even for the Seahawks or Green Bay playoff games, because those games featured an abundance of opposing teams' fans. I'm happy for the win, but disappointed that the Skins were in a fatal death match with the Cardinals. I understand that Cardinals players are professionals and get paid too, but self-inflicted mistakes nearly cost the commanders the game. As the coaches talk so much about Sam Howell's ability to self-correct, 
I hope that the team takes this week to self-correct before heading to Denver. As an aside, I hope that Mrs. Galdi is doing okay after that shellacking by the 49ers. My husband and son are diehard Steelers fans. I can't even talk to my husband until about Tuesday, maybe maybe Wednesday, LOL. Thank you uh, for the email, doctor. Yes, my wife, a... Uh, Big time Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, you know, we in week one had multiple beatdowns. I just mentioned what happened between the Cowboys and the Giants. Among the beatdowns, of course, was the San Francisco 49ers winning at the Pittsburgh Steelers 37. And what was, by the way, the Steelers' first week one home game since 2014. Isn't that amazing? The Steelers had not had a week one home game since 2014. And uh, this game did not go so well in the Berg. Uh, email from Stanley Evans, ride Stanley. I was one of the ones who was not sure about this game against the Cardinals. It's so hard to win with a young quarterback and a new play caller. However, the commanders got the victory. When was the last time that this team was 2-0? 2007? The defensive line looked like it was playing with Tacklin Fuel, a Waterboy reference. Uh, pay Montez Sweat, rely on the defense, and see where we're at in the middle of October. Hopefully, we can start 2-0 to give us a tiny bit of breathing room. Until then, I feel like we're playing the equivalent of four preseason games in September. Uh, thank you for the email, Stanley. Uh, so Washington has not been 2-0 to begin a regular season since 2011. Uh, not quite 2007, but not far from that. Uh, the Commanders at the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. The Broncos, a 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Well, someone who I know would very much like to see the Commanders, the Manders, get to 2-0 is a great and loyal supporter of this podcast, Dr. George Bergis. Uh, Dr. George Bergis, he is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland provide excellent skin care. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big fan of the Commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Hey, Dr. Bergese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers. And I mentioned Botox. New Botox is 25% off during this month of September. Call Dr. George Bergese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-396. 3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301-396-3401. You could also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. 
Well, this is an exciting time of year in Washington, D.C. area sports. The Commanders are 1-0, new ownership in the Josh Harris group. There is a momentum with our football team. There is big-time renewed interest in the team. No podcast or show covers the team like this podcast does. And so if you would like to grow your business or practice, consider advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. We'd love to have you on board. Uh, Podcast advertising is very affordable, much more so than radio and television advertising. In our current economy, podcast advertising is the way to go. And podcast advertising works. Get a bang for your buck. Email us, see what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi Podcast at Yahoo.com. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know that I was never caught up in how the commanders might beat the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, did I want a blowout win? Sure. But that the Commanders won was always so much more important to me than how the Commanders won. And I never got caught up in, well, if the Commanders don't win in a blowout way, then that means that the Commanders season is doomed. No. And the reason that I felt that way was that how the Commanders won wasn't necessarily going to mean much. Results and performances in NFL Week 1s can mean so little for what is to come that season. Every NFL team in a season is a constantly evolving organism, okay? The league, as we all know, is a week-to-week league. And yes, as the season goes on, you do get a sense of who is good and who is not good. But when it comes to the first few weeks of an NFL regular season, the idea with a team is to get wins, stack wins, harvest your nuts, as Eddie Jordan said during his time as Wizards head coach. And then a team in October and November and December and January can truly assess who and what that team is. It matters much more what the commanders are in October and November and December and January than it matters what the commanders are right now. Uh, Next segment, I will talk about the tremendous performance by the commanders defense in the team's regular season opening, a 2016 win over the Cardinals at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. But right now, let us talk commanders offense. And let's bottom line this. The offense was not good. Uh, This was an offensive performance way too reminiscent of the bad offensive performances that we saw from Washington so often each of the last five seasons, 2018 through 2022. This was an offensive performance that, if it was in fact a sign of what's to come with the team's offense this season, very much portends a bad season for our team. My hope as a fan of the team is that the offense is going to evolve and get better as the season goes on. There are so many new components with this offense offense. But heck yeah, what we saw on Sunday afternoon was not good. Uh, The commanders for the game scored just 20 points, went just 2 of 5 in the red zone, went just 4 of 12 on third downs, generated just 248 total net yards of offense, and averaged a microscopic 3.82 yards per play. Those are hideous numbers. The commanders on Sunday afternoon committed three second quarter turnovers. Hideous. Uh, This was quarterback Sam Howell during his postgame press conference on the performance of the offense. Yeah, I just think too many mistakes. Um, I think a lot. I, I had some, I had some mistakes for sure in the game, and I think just it, everyone was kind of taking their turn of different mistakes. And I just think collectively as a group, um, we got to be better. 
Yes, you do. Uh, this was head coach Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on being a bit disappointed with his team's performance. I am. I am because we had opportunities. I mean, I mean, our guys, you know, they've been working hard, they've been practicing hard, they've been getting better. And for us to, to make those kind of mistakes, that was disappointing. And, and, and I know we are all disappointed, but we're all thrilled. Believe me, I'm happy as hell we won. I really am. But I, I, we got to play better. We, we really do because, again, we, we, we've, we've worked hard. We've done things the right way. But details, we've got to be better with those. Yes, you do. Uh, consider this. The commander's top receiver, Terry McLaurin, he, for the game on Sunday afternoon, had two receptions. That was it. Two catches. Uh, Terry played in this game despite having suffered the uh, right big toe injury in the Commanders' 29-28 preseason win over the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football on August 21st. But Terry, in this win over the Cardinals, had just two receptions for 31 yards on four targets. Did draw a big defensive pass interference penalty, but Terry getting just four targets is criminal. Uh, The commander's starting quarterback, Sam Howell, he, in what was his second career NFL regular season start, had a very mixed game. Uh, Sam completed just 19 of his 31 pass attempts. He, over his 31 pass attempts, threw for just 202 yards. That works out to yards per pass attempt of just 6.52. He had an interception. Uh, He had a lost fumble that was returned for a touchdown. He took a whopping six sacks. But Uh, Sam also had a nice touchdown pass, had a clutch touchdown run. He quarterbacked a commander's team that overcame a 16-10 fourth quarter deficit, and he displayed some real toughness. Uh, I have said that I am excited about Sam Howell. I still am excited about Sam. If what we saw on Sunday afternoon was the worst of what we're going to see from Sam this season, I certainly can live with that. Uh, especially considering the uh, rainy conditions on Sunday afternoon. But undoubtedly, Sam Howell needs to be better. This commander's offense needs to be better. Uh, The good from Sam in this win over the Cardinals. The big fourth quarter touchdown run, a clutch play. Uh, The commander's 10th offensive drive started at the Cardinals 29 off edge defender Montez Sweat's late third quarter sack strip that was recovered by interior defensive lineman Deron Payne. The seventh snap of the drive, third and goal at the six. Sam a fourth quarter, six yard shotgun scramble touchdown run ensuing extra point gave the commanders a 17-16 lead. Awesome. Uh, Sam displayed great toughness on a first quarter drive that resulted in a touchdown pass. The commander's second offensive drive, a six play 91 yard drive that featured three Cardinals penalties for 67 yards. The Cardinals for this game, nine accepted penalties for 122 yards. A big time help to the commanders, no doubt. But Sam's touchdown pass was impressive. A first quarter, second and four, seven yard shotgun touchdown pass to running back Brian Robinson Jr. on a broken play on which Sam scrambled to his left and then threw off twisting his body. Uh, Good stuff from Sam. Additionally, uh, the first snap of the drive, a first and 10 for the commanders at their nine. Sam took a nasty shot from linebacker Kaiser White while scrambling on what officially went down as a sack for a zero-yard loss. So White received a 15-yard lowering head to make forcible contact penalty. Uh, Sam got checked after the play, but did not miss a snap. He came right back onto the field. Hated to see Sam take a shot like that. You obviously want him to minimize taking shots like that, but that shot was not on Sam. That was a totally unnecessary shot 
from Kaiser White. That was about as obvious of a penalty as you'll ever see in an NFL game. And thankfully, Sam did not get hurt. The last thing that the commanders need this season in the bigger picture is for Sam Howell to get injured and the team not get a true sense of what it has in this guy as a quarterback. Uh, Sam responded very well to his late second quarter loss fumble that was returned for a touchdown. The drive that followed that touchdown was the commander's seventh offensive drive, started at their 19 with just 49 seconds left in the first half, but resulted in points. Uh, Kicker Joey Sly's 30-yard field goal as time expired in the second quarter. First snap of the drive, Sam, a first and 10, 18-yard shotgun completion to receiver Curtis Samuel. Third snap of the drive, Sam, a second and 10, 19-yard shotgun completion to tight end Logan Thomas. The fifth snap of the drive on a second and 10 at the Cardinals 44, Sam, a 32-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel. Uh, Sam Howell did a nice job in what was a two-minute situation, although also on this drive, was Sam nearly throwing another interception. What could have been the commander's fourth turnover of the second quarter, fourth snap of the drive, first and 10 for the commanders at the Cardinals 44. Sam had a shotgun incompletion that nearly resulted in a pick, maybe even a pick six by safety Kayvon Wallace. And so the bad from Sam Howell in this game. I just mentioned the turnovers in the second quarter. The commanders incredibly had three second quarter turnovers, two by Sam. Uh, the commander's sixth offensive drive started at their 12 with 129 left in the second quarter. Fourth snap of the drive on a third and 10 for the commanders at their 26. Sam Howell, a late second quarter loss fumble on a sack strip by edge defender Dennis Gardeck, uh, who blew by right tackle Andrew Wiley and then poked the ball out while Sam was spinning away from pressure. The ball was recovered by edge defender Cameron Thomas, who uh, engineered a two-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Awful play. Uh, Wiley got beat but a fumble in that spot cannot happen. Uh, here was Sam during his post-game press conference on the sack strip lost fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Yeah, the strip sack fumble. Um, you know, I was just trying to, you know, I felt some pressure up front, so I was just trying to spin out of it and get and break the pocket. Um, and the guy kind of got me from behind. I wasn't expecting him to get me. Uh, but in that, in, that situation, in that situation, backed up down there, you know, I just got to make sure I protect the football. Um, you know, if any, at the end of the day, throwing the ball away, you can live with that. Uh, so definitely got to do a better job. All right. Uh, Sam Howell uh, had his second quarter interception, the commander's third offensive drive, the fourth snap of the drive, the second snap of the second quarter, first and 10 for the commanders at their 29. Uh, Sam threw an under center play action pass that was tipped by defensive lineman Kevin Strong, ended up being wobbly uh, and went right to edge defender Zayvon Collins for an interception. Uh, you can't put all of that on Sam, but your job as a quarterback is to find good throwing lanes, and that clearly did not happen on that throw. Uh, Sam on the commander's fifth offensive drive, which resulted in a second quarter punt, had back-to-back bad snaps. Third snap of the drive, second and 10 for the commanders at the Cardinals 37. Sam threw dangerously behind Terry McLaurin, uh, who was open on a shotgun incompletion. Fourth snap of the drive on a third and 10 for the commanders at the Cardinals 37. Sam took a sack for an eight-yard loss. And we had what happened on the opening drive of the game. The opening drive of the commander's 2023 regular season. Sam not throwing to a wide-open Diami Brown for what could have been a touchdown. Uh, the opening drive of the game resulted in a first-quarter punt. The fifth snap of the drive, second and 10 for the commanders at their 36. Sam had a 12-yard under-center play-action completion to receiver Jahan Dodson. But 
Sam on the play had receiver Deami Brown wide open down the left sideline for what could have been a touchdown. Imagine how FedEx Field would have exploded had the team on its first offensive drive had a touchdown bomb. Uh, Now, as for the sacks, a total of six sacks in a game is unacceptable. Uh, We know enough about sacks to know that they are as much a quarterback's dead as they are an offensive line stat. Heck, sacks may be more of a quarterback stat than they are an offensive line stat. Arguably, Sam Howell's biggest problem in college was taking sacks. He has got to get better at avoiding sacks. Here was some more from Sam from his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. I, I just think we I could have played cleaner football. Um, you know, obviously the turnover, trying to do too much in the pocket, and you know, I think I could have thrown the ball away on, on some times. And I took too many sacks, um, and just trying to get the ball out quick, and you know, taking what the defense is giving me. Um, you know, it's hard to say right now until I go back and watch the film. Um, but I'm just happy we got the win. Yeah, Sam Howell needs to do a better job of avoiding being sacked. But let's also make this clear: the offensive line needs to be better. Okay. The commander's revamped offensive line was not overly impressive on Sunday afternoon. Uh, The starting offensive line was Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle, Sadiq Charles at left guard, Nick Gates at center, Samuel Cosme at right guard, Andrew Wiley at right tackle. Uh, The commander's offensive line committed two penalties and was part of a commander's offense that allowed six sacks and averaged just 3.12 yards per carry on carries by running backs and receivers. Uh, We talked about Andrew Wiley uh, getting beat on the sack strip loss fumble. How about the commander's eighth offensive drive? Uh, This drive resulted in a third quarter punt, the sixth snap of the drive on a second and nine for the commanders at their 48. Sam Howell took a sack for a six-yard loss. The sack was by interior defensive lineman Carlos Watkins, who ran in virtually unblocked in a breakdown in protection. The seventh snap of the drive on a third and 15 for the commanders at their 42. Sadiq Charles committed a 10-yard offensive holding penalty. The eighth snap of the drive on a third and 25 for the commanders at their 32. Sam took a sack for a 70-yard loss. The sack was by edge defender Victor Dimokeji, who plowed over Sadiq Charles off him getting tripped by running back Brian Robinson Jr. A really bad drive for the offensive line. Uh, The commander's ninth offensive drive resulted in a late third quarter punt. First snap of the drive, first and 10 for the commanders at their 25. Andrew Wiley, a 10-yard offensive holding penalty. Uh, The offensive line is a concern. We knew that going into this regular season, but we're now even more certain of that. And what you hope for is that the line gets better as the season goes on. And that is possible. I mean, I don't think that what we saw on Sunday afternoon means that the Commander's 2023 offensive line is doomed to be horrendous for the entirety of this season. But yeah, we've all been concerned and we're all going to continue to be concerned until we see a product that is better. The onus is on this offensive line to be better. And it was not good enough in this game on Sunday afternoon. Sam Howell needs to be better, but the offensive line needs to be better as well. As for Antonio Gibson, uh, we now are back to having to discuss the fumbling issue of running back Antonio Gibson. He, in this win over the Cardinals, 
Three carries for nine yards and a lost fumble. One reception for 10 yards on one target. Uh, the lost fumble was a killer. A red zone lost fumble. The commander's fourth offensive drive happened in the second quarter with the commanders holding a 7-6 lead on a first and 10 for the commanders at the Cardinals 19. Gibson had a lost fumble on a three-yard shotgun handoff run up the middle uh, as the ball was punched out by edge defender Victor Dimokeji, who, by the way, is uh, a pseudo-local. He's from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, So Antonio Gibson, in terms of fumbling, he, in the 2022 regular season, only had one fumble. Uh, We thought that maybe possibly the fumbling problem was a thing of the past. And maybe he doesn't have a fumbling problem right now. Maybe what we had on Sunday afternoon was an isolated occurrence, as opposed to him going right back to where he was a few years ago. But where he was a few years ago was in a bad place, man, in terms of fumbling. Gibson in the 2021 regular season led all running backs in the NFL in fumbles with six. And this fumble that he had on Sunday afternoon brought you right back to what happened in week one two years ago, right? September 12, 2021. A 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field. Same score as this win over the Cardinals. Gibson in that loss to the Chargers, a crucial fourth quarter loss fumble. I hated to see this by Antonio Gibson on Sunday afternoon. We are also wanting for Gibson to finally bust out in the way that we hoped that he would bust out when the Redskins took him in the third round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of Memphis. And it's not that he has been a like wretched player for Washington over his time with the team, but he has never truly blossomed into the player that we all hoped that he was when the Skins took him in that third round in the 2020 draft. And the thinking, of course, has been that with Eric Bieniemy now as the commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, with this being a contract season for Gibson, that now is the time. This season is the season for Gibson to bust out in that dual threat way that we've all been hoping for and yearning for. And hey, that still could happen. We're one game into the commander's 17-game regular season. But clearly, uh, a lost fumble uh, does not do Gibson any favors. And he also, by the way, had a bad kickoff return in this game. He was the commander's kickoff returner. He had just one kickoff return. Uh, This was a late second quarter 21-yard return on which he caught the ball two yards deep into the end zone, but generated a return to just the commander's 19. Uh, Had he taken a knee in the end zone, the commanders would have gotten the ball at their 25. Uh, might this latest fumble by Antonio Gibson mean more carries for Chris Rodriguez Jr.? Uh, he and his NFL regular season debut, three carries for seven yards. He was not targeted in the passing game, but it was interesting to see Rodriguez get a carry so early in the game. The commander's first offensive drive, opening drive of the game, resulted in a first quarter punt, but the third snap of the drive was a Chris Rodriguez Jr. carry, a third and one, two-yard under center handoff run for the commanders to get the ball to their 36. Uh, The commander's RB1, Brian Robinson Jr. Uh, He in this win over the Cardinals, 19 carries for 59 yards, one reception for 70 yards, and a touchdown on two targets. Uh, The touchdown reception obviously was really good. Robinson also had back-to-back big runs on the drive that resulted in Sam Howell's fourth quarter six-yard touchdown run. The second snap of the drive, first snap of the fourth quarter on a second and six for the commanders at the Cardinals 25. Robinson, a seven-yard shotgun handoff 
run. Third snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Commanders at the Cardinals 18. Robinson, a seven-yard under center handoff run. Uh, hey, I want to tell you about a new sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast, Nova Fireplace and Stove. Uh, Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. Uh, it handles gas fireplace sales, service, and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Uh, call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Uh, Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by big-time Commanders fans, and it has outstanding professionals. Whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master gas fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector. And because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need for any subcontractors. And Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It has a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, NovaFireplaceAndStove.com. And take advantage of the special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571 513 3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571-513-3803 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, leading the way when it comes to to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater is the GameTime app. If you are looking for great deals on tickets to Commander's Games, make sure that you download the GameTime app and use the promo code ALGALDI. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee, so you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price, and if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. GameTime is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. GameTime is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code, ALGALDI. You use that promo code, ALGALDI, you get $20 off 
your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code ALGALDI for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. <laughs> download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. It could be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Uh, we move now to the biggest bright spot for the Commanders in their uh, regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. The defense, the Commanders' defense was outstanding in a game against a team in the Cardinals that figures to be among the worst teams in the NFL this season. The Commanders' defense was what you wanted the defense to be. The defense was appropriately good in this game. The Commanders' defense in this game suffocated the Cardinals, dominated the Cardinals. The Commanders' defense allowed just nine points. That's it. The Cardinals' other seven points came via quarterback Sam Howell's late second quarter loss fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Uh, The Commanders held the Cardinals to just four of 14 on third downs. The Commanders held the Cardinals to just 210 total net yards of offense and to just 3.62 yards per play. The Commanders held the Cardinals' starting quarterback, Joshua Dobbs, to just 132 yards on 30 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 4.4. The Commanders totaled three sacks. Uh, My favorite stat, the Commanders totaled 11 tackles for loss. 11 tackles for loss. 11 TFLs uh, for an NFL defense in a regular season game. A fantastic total. And the Commanders generated two takeaways, which came via two forced fumbles by edge defender Montez Sweat. Forced fumbles that were recovered. Uh, The commander's defense was especially good late in the game, and thanks in large part to the team's top three defensive linemen, Montez Sweat and interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. No Chase Young in this game. Edge defender Chase Young inactive uh, due to the neck injury that he suffered in the commander's preseason opening 17-15 win at the Cleveland Browns on August 11th. Remember, too, that two key defensive linemen for the team are on the reserve injured list. Uh, edge defender F.A. Obata and interior defensive lineman Fidarian Mathis. And so the team's top three defensive linemen, Montez, John, and Duran, carried the load, especially late in the game. The commander's defensive line generated a massive takeaway to cap an outstanding drive. Uh, This was the Cardinals' eighth offensive drive. Happened late in the third quarter. The drive consisted of three snaps that were three of the final four snaps of the third quarter. The first snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Cardinals at their 40, Deron Payne tackled running back Keontae Ingram for a one-yard loss on an under-center handoff run. The second snap of the drive, second and 11 for the Cardinals at their 39. Jonathan Allen, a tackle of Joshua Dobbs, for a four-yard loss. Third snap of the drive, third and 15 for the Cardinals at their 35. Montez Sweat, a sack strip 
of Joshua Dobbs. The fumble recovered by Duran Payne. Montez, John, and Duran were all over the place on this drive. This drive was a defensive line clinic by Montez Sweat, John Allen, and Deron Payne. Uh, the Cardinals' ninth offensive drive happened in the fourth quarter off the Commanders having just taken a 17-16 lead. This drive resulted in a fourth quarter three and out. The first snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Cardinals at their 25. Montez Sweat tackled running back James Conner for a one-yard loss on a shotgun handoff run. The second snap of the drive, second and 11 for the Cardinals at their 24. Safety Cameron Curl tackled James Conner for a two-yard loss on a reception on a screen on a broken play. The Cardinals' 10th offensive drive, the fourth snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Cardinals at their 34. Corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr. was credited with a tackle and getting running back Keontae Ingram out of bounds for a three-yard loss on an under-center toss run on which edge defender James Smith-Williams got great pressure. Uh, The eighth snap of the drive, first and 15 for the Cardinals at their 40. A botched exchange by the Cardinals resulted in a forced fumble credited to Montez Sweat. The fumble was recovered by interior defensive lineman Abdullah Anderson, and the ensuing commander's offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's fourth quarter 33-yard field goal for a 2016 commander's lead, and the Cardinals' 11th offensive drive resulted in a late fourth quarter turnover on downs. The fifth snap of the drive on a second and eight for the Cardinals at their 39. John Allen, a sack of Joshua Dobbs for an eight-yard loss, as John essentially spun into sacking Dobbs. A combination of skill and luck, but whatever the case, a sack for John Allen in that spot. Here was head coach Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on the commander's defense. I thought um, the way the unit played as a whole on defense, uh, I thought that was outstanding. I really did. I mean, they, they, they played hard. They, they made plays when they had to. Uh, they gave us opportunities, created field position, put us in scoring position. I mean, did, did the things that you're going to do right now because as a group that's been together, you know, for the most part, fourth year in the system, so they're going to be a little bit ahead. They're going to carry us a little bit, and they know that. So Montez Sweat finished the game with one and a half sacks, two tackles for loss, and two forced fumbles. Jonathan Allen finished the game with a sack, two tackles for loss, and three quarterback hits. Deron Payne finished the game with two tackles for loss and a fumble recovery. But, you know, so many other commander's defensive players stood out. I mentioned this guy, Abdullah Anderson. Uh, He made plays in this game. The Cardinals' fourth offensive drive, this was the drive that immediately followed running back Antonio Gibson's second quarter red zone loss fumble. Uh, The drive resulted in a second quarter punt. The fourth snap of the drive, third and seven for the Cardinals at their 19. Montez Sweat and Abdullah Anderson combined for a sack of Joshua Dobbs for a four-yard loss. Uh, the Cardinals' sixth offensive drive, this was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in kicker Matt Prater's third quarter, 37-yard field goal, the ninth snap of the drive, second and nine for the Cardinals at the commander's 17. Abdullah Anderson tackled running back James Conner for a two-yard loss on a reception on a shovel pass. Uh, edge defenders James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill stood out. Uh, linebacker Jamin Davis stood out. Safety Cameron Curl stood out. The corners, Kendall Fuller, Emmanuel Forbes Jr., Benjamin St. Juice, they stood out. There was so much to like with the commander's defense in this game. And I get it. The Cardinals set up to be putrid this season. I understand that completely. But still, there's a defense playing well And then there is a defense completely owning a team. The commander's defense in this game owned the Cardinals. 
I just mentioned the commander's secondary. Here was Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the secondary. I thought secondary had some great opportunities. They really did. They, they put themselves in position. Um, unfortunately, we dropped some interceptions. I mean, our guys, I mean, they, 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 you could see them, you know, anticipating, breaking on the ball, putting themselves in position to make those plays. And, you know, we have a chance. We really do with, with those guys. I, you know, it, it would have been great. I mean, I, I can see those balls, you know, just unfortunately just ricocheting off us. But I, I really thought they held up. Um, and again, I, I think what our coach has done with them has been a solid group. You know, last year you saw the, the growth at, at the beginning of the growth, and I think they've just continued it into this year. So hopefully we can continue to get better. Well, we know that things will get tougher for the commander's defense in terms of the opposition, and it is against better offenses that we can truly judge what the commanders have in their 2023 defense. But for now, all we can go off of is what we have, and what we have is what we saw in this regular season opening win over the Cardinals. Uh, So much to like from the commander's defense, just like there's so much to like with underdog fantasy. Uh, I am proud to be partnering with underdog fantasy. Uh, I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for commander's games in terms of underdog fantasy's higher, lower totals. Uh, Underdog fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the underdog fantasy app. Uh, Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. Uh, And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. Look, we all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption, but keeps the fun and the potential to win money. And Underdog Fantasy is offering something special for listeners of this podcast. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free, free money. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. A term supply concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call one 877 8 Hope NY and in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789 Well, for the Nationals right now, there very much are two levels, uh, the on the field stuff and the off the field stuff. Uh the off the field stuff has been crazy for weeks now with really two situations, the front office uncertainty and the mess that has become the retirement of starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. Uh, With the front office uncertainty, 
The latest includes Washington Post columnist Barry Verluga this past Friday afternoon reporting that the Nats are moving their assistant general manager and vice president of scouting operations, Chris Klein, into a new role of special assistant to president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo, who remains without a contract extension. Uh, Chris Klein was hired by the Nats in the fall of 2006. He spent the next three seasons, 2007 through 2009, as a cross-checker for the team and then was promoted to director of scouting in October 2009. He has been a big-time force in Nats drafts for well over a decade, but these are Nats drafts that, as we have discussed, have proven to be abysmal. Uh, I am fine with Klein being reassigned, and I think everyone gets that when you get reassigned to a role of special assistant to the GM, you are being demoted. I am perfectly fine with Klein being demoted. But if Nat's ownership, the learners, uh, was going to shake things up in the front office due to the bad drafts, why wasn't this done two years ago when the Nats rebuild started? Why do this two years into the rebuild when the team already has had multiple drafts since the rebuild began. And if the learners think this little of the Nats drafting, and by the way, I don't blame the learners for thinking little of the Nats drafting, why are the learners keeping the man in charge of the drafting, Mike Rizzo? Or are they keeping Rizzo? Again, he does remain without a contract extension, despite uh, there having been reports on August 21st of the team and Rizzo nearing the finalizing of a contract extension. Uh, MLB insider Kent Rosenthal of The Athletic this past Friday morning came out with a report on the Nats. He, in the report, said, quote, the Nationals who remain for sale at a time of diminished revenue are in a volatile place, end quote. Uh, Rosenthal in the report said the following of why the learners might not be giving Mike Rizzo the kind of contract extension that he wants and thus the holdup in the finalizing of the extension. Quote, Rizzo can be mercurial, according to national sources who spoke on condition of anonymity in exchange for their candor. The team was slow to embrace analytics and has struggled to develop pitching. And Rizzo's current staff, without question, is a tad bloated. The Nationals directory currently lists 12 special assistants to the GM, a number rival execs find astonishing. Half of them are not getting renewed, end quote. And as is always the case with these reports that have sources, you have to wonder who are the sources. Rosenthal in the report identified the sources as, quote, Nationals sources, end quote. Who are the sources? Who leaked this stuff to Rosenthal, uh, stuff that is anti-Mike Rizzo? You got to wonder about that. Uh, As for Steven Strasburg, so on Friday's show, episode 652, talked about the Strasburg situation. Uh, Multiple reports this past Thursday afternoon of a previously planned but never officially announced Strasburg retirement press conference for Saturday being called off. Uh, This due to the team in Strasburg's camp, i.e. his agent. Scott Boris, uh, still working out what's going to happen with Strasburg's contract, the seven-year, $245 million contract to which he was re-signed in December 2019. The reporting, at least by some, clearly was influenced by leaks from Boris. And so Nats managing principal owner Mark Lerner on Friday evening actually put out a statement, quote, Steven Strasburg is and always will be an important part of the Washington Nationals franchise. We support him in any decision he makes and will ensure that he receives what is due to him. It is regrettable that private discussions have been made public through anonymous sources attempting to negotiate through the media. 
While we have been following the process required by the collective bargaining agreement, behind-the-scenes preparations for a press conference had begun internally. However, no such event was ever confirmed by the team or promoted publicly. It is unfortunate that external leaks in the press have mischaracterized these events. It is our hope that ongoing conversations remain private out of respect for the individuals involved. Until then, we look forward to seeing Stephen when we report to spring training. End quote. And boy, was that last line in the statement interesting. We look forward to seeing Stephen when we report to spring training. That line was something. I don't know if that line came from Mark Lerner himself or came from a lawyer, but Strasburg, per report from Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post this past June 3rd, is dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote. Strasburg is done. He will never pitch again. Mark Lerner in that statement saying, quote, we look forward to seeing Stephen when we report to spring training, end quote, came off like Lerner daring Strasburg to try to pitch again, despite knowing that he can't pitch again. And there would be a tactical reason for this. The way that MLB contracts work is that they are guaranteed unless a player voluntarily retires, although the exception then is if the player voluntarily retires due to a debilitating injury. How the remaining money in the Strasbourg contract was going to be figured out was always a massive part of the Strasbourg situation. Clearly, the Nats and Scott Boris have not yet figured this out. And what's really unfortunate is that the situation is turning ugly. And that was the last thing that you wanted to see. In the meantime, uh, we had what happened with the Nats on the field over the weekend. Uh, they lost two or three games to the National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park in a series with nearly as much rain delay time as actual baseball time. Uh, Friday night, an 8-5 loss in a game that featured a rain delay of one hour and 34 minutes. Saturday night, a 7-6, 11-inning win in a game for which the start was delayed for four hours and 10 minutes due to rain. Uh, this also was a game in which the Nats blew a 5-2 seventh inning lead, and this was a game that was won on Michael Chavis scoring on a two-out wild pitch in the bottom of the 11th, and then Sunday afternoon, a 7-3 loss in a game that featured a rain delay of 58 minutes. This series <laughs> ended up having a total of six hours and 42 minutes of rain delay time. If you like rain, uh, this was the series for you. Uh, the Nats now have lost 10 of their last 13 games. The Nats for this 2022 regular season now are 64 and 79. That is the third worst record in the National League. Uh, the 7-3 loss to the Dodgers on Sunday afternoon was yet another game in which starting pitcher Trevor Williams uh, got rocked. Uh, he officially allowed six runs in four into third innings. He gave up eight hits, a solo homer, a double, and six singles. He issued four walks, one of which was intentional. He issued a hit-by-pitch. He recorded four strikeouts. He, over his four into third innings, threw a whopping 101 pitches, just 55 strikes versus 46 balls. Uh, Trevor Williams now in this regular season has allowed 34 home runs. That is the fourth worst total in the majors. And Williams' precipitous decline continues. You know, Trevor Williams over his first 11 starts of this regular season had an ERA of 393, but he over his last 17 starts now 
has an ERA of 643. However, uh, going in the opposite direction continues to be starting pitcher Jake Irvin. Uh, the 7-6, 11-inning win over the Dodgers on Saturday night. Irvin in that game allowed one run in six innings. He gave up just three hits, a double, and two singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 88 pitches, 54 strikes versus 34 balls. And he did this against a Dodgers team that is one of the best hitting teams in the majors. The Dodgers came into Saturday number two in the majors in Team OPS Plus for this regular season at 115. Uh, the Nats on May 3rd recalled Irvin from AAA Rochester. He, over his first seven major league regular season starts, had an ERA of 587. He was not good. Uh, he then had his turn in the rotation skipped. He worked on some things. He reset himself. And Irvin now, over 15 starts since having his turn in the rotation skipped, has an ERA of 359. He has been really good and over an increasingly large sample size, 15 starts. Uh, it is Jake Irvin, not Josiah Gray, not Mackenzie Gore, who has been the Nats' best pitcher over the last three months. I give Irvin a lot of credit for this. Uh, and with Mackenzie Gore, uh, well, his 2023 season does appear to be done. Uh, Gore, in the 8-5 loss to the Dodgers on Friday night, made his first start in 10 days. Uh, he had been on the bereavement list from August 31st to September 5th. Uh, he lasted for just four innings. Uh, he allowed four runs in the four innings. Uh, Gore uh, gave up six hits, three home runs, and three singles. He issued two walks. He did record four strikeouts. But Gore, over the four innings, threw 89 pitches, 52 strikes versus 37 balls. Uh, Gore, in this outing, did deal with a nagging blister problem. And the Nats on Saturday afternoon announced having placed Gore on the 15-day entered list with what the team called left finger blisters. So his season would appear to be done. I mean, at this point, it would not make much sense for him to come off the 15-day IL when he's eligible and pitch again, especially given that uh, the widespread belief is that there has been a workload limit uh, on Gore this season. Uh, a mixed 2023 season for Mackenzie Gore. He at times was great, other times not so much. Uh, Gore was one of the six players, including five prospects, who the Nats acquired from the San Diego Padres uh, in the big trade of outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the Padres on August 2nd, 2022. The Padres took Gore with the number three overall pick in the 2017 MLB draft out of a high school in North Carolina. He has tremendous upside, uh, but there certainly is a putting all of it together uh, that needs to take place with Gore. Uh, Gore for the 2023 regular season, 27 starts, ERA of 442, a whip of 140. Uh, the Nats have just 19 games left in this regular season, but the team's next scheduled off day is not until Monday, September 25th. And the Nats bullpen continues to be used a lot. This is a tricky situation in which Nats manager Davey Martinez finds himself because, you know, he's trying to make it through the rest of this regular season, but the starting pitching has not been great. Uh, we've had these rain delays. Uh, we had game two of this series against the Dodgers being an extra inning game. And so the Nats in this series against the Dodgers used a lot of relievers. Davey in game one used six relievers. In game two used five relievers. In game three used only three relievers. And a big reason for that was Davey just working reliever Joe LaSorsa. Uh, this 7-3 loss on Sunday, Davey worked LaSorsa hard, but LaSorsa responded. He, in that game, tossed three and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, really good uh, in what was one of the lengthiest outings for a Nats reliever this season. Uh, the Nats on Saturday afternoon announced having recalled LaSorsa 
from AAA Rochester. But the Nats' bullpen was not good in the 7-6, uh, 11-inning win over the Dodgers on Saturday night. Five Nats relievers combined to allow five runs, four earned in five innings. And this included struggles from the Nats' top two relievers, talking about Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey. Harvey allowed two runs in one and a third innings. He at the top of the eighth allowed two runs on a two-out hit-by-pitch of Will Smith, followed by a two-out, two-run homer by Max Muncy to right center field to cut the Nats' lead to 5-4, despite Muncy having been down in the count at 1.12. And Kyle Finnegan, in the top of the ninth, allowed a run in an inning in which he threw 28 pitches. Uh, He issued a one-out, 11-pitch walk of James Outman, uh, who then had a stolen base that drew a throwing error by catcher Cape Ruiz, uh, advancing Outman to third base. And then Finnegan gave up a game-tying one-out RBI single by Colton Wong into right field on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at five. And Finnegan then issued a one-out four-pitch walk of David Peralta. Uh, We are seeing Finnegan and Harvey uh, show some signs of wear and tear here as the season goes on. Uh, as for the Nats offense at losing two or three games to the Dodgers over the weekend, well, uh, a remarkable streak for Lane Thomas did come to an end on Sunday afternoon. Thomas in the 7-3 loss uh, to the Dodgers on Sunday afternoon as the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter went 0-5, ending a four-game home run streak. He in the 7-6, 11-inning win on Saturday night as the Nats starting DH and number two batter in his return from a three-game absence caused by back tightness went one for four with a two-run homer, an RBI sack fly, and a hit-by-pitch. And he had a stolen base. Uh, Thomas in the Nats' two-run seventh had a two-out first pitch, two-run homer to left field for a 5-2 Nats lead. He became just the fifth player for the Nats since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason to hit a home run in each of four consecutive regular season games. And what made Thomas's four-game home run streak even more remarkable was that he has been dealing with this back tightness. So the guy has been ailing, uh, but he also has been mashing. So go figure. Uh, Some good stuff in the series against the Dodgers from uh, two young Nats speedsters uh, in C.J. Abrams and Jacob Young. Uh, Abrams was the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter in each of the first two games of the series. He in the 8-5 loss on Friday night went two for four with a two-run homer, a single, and a stolen base. He in the 7-6, 11-inning win on Saturday night got on base five times. Uh, He went two for three with a triple, a bunt single, and three walks, two of which were intentional. And Jacob Young, uh, he in the 8-5 loss on Friday night as the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter went one for three with a double. He in the 7-6, 11-inning win on Saturday night as the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter went one for four with a single. And he made a terrific defensive play. Top of the six, a leaping catch while crashing back first into the center field wall for a first pitch flyout by Will Smith for the second out. And Young in the 7-3 loss on Sunday afternoon as the Nats starting center fielder and number one batter two for four with an RBI infield single, another single and a walk. And he went two for two on stolen bases. Uh, The Nats on August 26th announced that they had selected the contract of Jacob Young from AAA Rochester. He over 52 major league regular season plate appearances with the Nats, has an on-base percentage of 380. Uh, Not bad for a guy who the Nats took in the seventh round of the 2021 MLB draft out of Florida. Uh, also, Luis Garcia is back. Uh, the Nats on Friday afternoon announced that they had recalled second baseman Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester, uh, although the corresponding roster move was the Nats placing catcher Riley Adams on the 10-day injured list retroactive to September 7th due to a broken left hemate bone 
that he suffered in the Nats 3-2 walk-off win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park last Wednesday night. So Riley Adams' season is done. Uh, but the Nats had optioned Luis Garcia to AAA Rochester on August 2nd. He was coming off a horrendous July in which he had an OPS of just 551. Uh, Garcia in this stint for Rochester, 108 plate appearances, an OPS of just 696. He did not tear it up for Rochester, although he did do pretty well over his last 11 games with Rochester. But Mike Rizzo in an appearance on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan this past Wednesday morning was rather blunt about Luis Garcia, saying that Garcia being sent to Rochester, quote, was a preparation assignment. We wanted him to go down there and learn a routine, learn how to prepare for each and every game in the big leagues, end quote. Uh, Rizzo also said that he had wanted Garcia to lose some weight, uh, which Garcia did. Uh, Luis Garcia was an at starting second baseman and number eight batter in each of the first two games against the Dodgers at Nationals Park over the weekend. He went a combined one for seven with an RBI single. Uh, Next up for the Nats, a seven-game road trip beginning with a four-game series at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Game one, Monday evening at 6.35. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday evening at 6.35. Joanna Doan will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday evening at 6.35. The Nats starting pitcher is to be announced. And game four, Thursday afternoon at 12.35. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Ninety wins. It is one of the great plateaus that a major league baseball team can reach in a regular season. The ninety win plateau. The Orioles have won at least ninety games in a regular season for the first time since the 2014 season, in which the O's won 96 regular season games in winning the American League East. The O's did lose at the Boston Red Sox 7-3 on Sunday afternoon in a game that featured two rain delays that totaled two hours and ten minutes. So the loss did snap the Orioles seven-game winning streak, uh, but concluded a 7-2 and two road trip. Uh, the O's won the first two games of the series at the Red Sox. Friday night, an 11-2 win. Saturday evening, a 13-12 win in a game for which the start was delayed by an hour and 32 minutes due to rain. Uh, but this win was the Orioles' seventh consecutive win, and this win was the Orioles' 90th win of the 2023 regular season in which they now are an American League best 90 and 52. Uh, The Tampa Bay Rays over the weekend completed a series in which the Rays won three or four games against the Seattle Mariners. So the O's are three games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. And the O's will be playing the Rays later this week. Uh, The Orioles offense got cooled off in this 7-3 loss at the Red Sox on Sunday afternoon, but that does not take away from what the O's did in games one and two of this series. The O's in their 11-2 win at the Red Sox on Friday night scored 11 runs, totaled 14 hits, worked a staggering nine walks, and went Five for 15 with runners in scoring position. The 14 hits were comprised of two home runs, a triple, two doubles, and nine singles. And then the O's in their 13-12 win at the Red Sox on Saturday evening scored 13 runs, totaled 14 hits, worked three walks, and went six for 11 with runners in scoring position. The 14 hits were comprised of five home runs, four doubles, and five singles. This game marked the O's having at least 10 hits in each of seven consecutive regular season games, the team's longest such streak, 
since September 2011. It hasn't always felt like the Orioles' offense is really good, but the Orioles' offense overall this season has been really good and was outstanding over the first two games of this series at the Red Sox. Uh, the Orioles won two of three games at the Red Sox over the weekend, despite only getting one good outing from a starting pitcher. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez in game three was not at least decent for the first time in nine starts. He in the 7-3 loss on Sunday afternoon, allowed four runs, two earned in four into third innings. He gave up seven hits, a triple, two doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch, did record six strikeouts, and did throw a lot of strikes. 89 pitches, 63 strikes versus 26 balls. Uh, but Jack Flaherty, he in game two of this series was uh, not that good for a fifth time in six starts with the O's. Flaherty in the 13-12 win on Saturday evening, five runs, four earned, and three into third innings. He gave up eight hits, a two-run homer, a double, and six singles. He issued a walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He over his mirror, three into third innings through 82 pitches, 52 strikes versus 30 balls. Uh, the O's on August 1st, minutes before the 2023 MLB trade deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern on that day, acquired Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals for three prospects. But Jack Flaherty over six starts with the O's has an ERA of 716. Uh, that is terrible. That is not why the O's traded for Jack Flaherty, for him to have an ERA of 716 over six starts. Uh, however, not terrible. The opposite of terrible, in fact, is Kyle Bradish. Uh, he in game one of this series at the Red Sox. Good yet again. Bradish in the 11-2 win at the Red Sox on Friday night. Two runs in six innings with nine strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just four hits, although three of them were extra base hits. He gave up a solo homer, two doubles, and a single. He threw 86 pitches, 56 strikes versus 30 balls. Kyle Bradish for this 2023 regular season is number five among all qualified pitchers in the majors in ERA at 3.03. It's hard to argue against New York Yankees ace Garrett Cole for the American League Cy Young Award, but Kyle Bradish is proving worthy of some votes. I mean, he has been awesome for the O's this season. Uh, not a good series for the Orioles' bullpen. The 7-3 loss at the Red Sox on Sunday afternoon. Two Orioles relievers combined to allow three runs, all of which were unearned in three and two-thirds innings. But Cole Irvin gave up a big home run. Uh, Irvin, in the bottom of the six, gave up a two-out, three-run opposite field home run by Tristan Casas to left center field over the Green Monster uh, for a 7-3 Red Sox lead. Now, all of the runs were unearned due to a fielding error by first baseman Ryan O'Hearn, one of three errors that the O's committed in this game. But, you know, again, Irvin gave up the homer. Uh, the 13-12 win at the Red Sox on Saturday evening. The O's won that game despite six Orioles relievers combining to allow seven runs, six earned in five and two-thirds innings on a whopping 15 hits and a walk. The Red Sox for the game totaled 23 hits. Now, Shintaro Fujinami in this game actually was quite good. One and two-thirds perfect inning, so props to him. But Jacob Webb was charged with three runs in two-thirds of an inning. And Yadir Cano in the bottom of the ninth allowed three runs on two doubles, two singles, and a walk. The only game in which the Orioles' bullpen was good was the 11-2 win at the Red Sox on Friday night. Three Orioles relievers in that game combined for three scoreless and hitless innings with four strikeouts. This Orioles' bullpen, without its ace reliever, Felix Batista, due to his uh, right UCL injury, big-time concern. But bottom line, a 7-2 and two road trip for the American League leading O's. Not bad. Uh, this was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday evening.
We just went seven and two on a trip. Didn't play very well the first one. Didn't play very well on the last one, but we played seven excellent games and super happy and proud of, of what we did on this trip. Not easy to go to Arizona, Anaheim, and then to Boston. Three totally different climate, conditions, stadiums, and play extremely well on the trip. So um, happy with, you know, today it wasn't our best day, but really happy with how we've been playing. Well, next up for the O's, a seven-game homestand beginning with a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Monday evening at 6.35. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday evening at 6.35. John Means will be the Orioles' starting pitcher in his return from Tommy John surgery that he underwent on his left elbow on April 27th. 2022. This has been a long time coming. Very exciting that the O's are finally getting John Means back. Uh, Game three, Wednesday evening at 635. The Orioles starting pitcher is to be announced. And then after this series against the Cardinals comes a big four-game series against the Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this Thursday through Sunday. And the O's on Sunday morning did announce that this Friday night's game against the Rays is sold out. And time now to talk college football. Week two of the 2023 season featured weather delays in games throughout the uh, mid-Atlantic region. Uh, also featured a major scare for Maryland, but the Terrapins did win. They improved a 2-0 with a 38-20 win over Charlotte at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland on Saturday night. The start of the game was a nightmare for the Terps. They gave up a 48-yard touchdown pass on a busted coverage and then gave up a pick six. The score, three minutes and 10 seconds into the game was Charlotte 14, Maryland nothing. (laughs) The Terps at the end of the first quarter trailed 14 nothing, but they then scored 38 unanswered points before a meaningless late fourth quarter touchdown by Charlotte. Uh, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, he began the game two of five for minus three yards and a pick six. He over the rest of the game went 23 of 31 for 290 yards, a touchdown. Did have a bad interception later in the game, a third quarter red zone interception in the end zone. So two bad picks for Talia, but he did get going and uh, he did not take a sack for the entire game. The Terps rushing offense was really good. Running backs Roman Hemby and Colby McDonald combined for 27 carries for 235 yards and two touchdowns. Also, the Terps are using their backup quarterback, Billy Edwards Jr., as a short yardage weapon. He had a third quarter, fourth and goal, one yard touchdown run on an under center push play. Uh, Now, Edwards earlier on the drive did have a fumble on a short yardage run, although the fumble was recovered uh, by Roman Hemby, who got a first down. Uh, Edwards is big. He's listed as being 6'4 and 219 pounds. Talia Tungavailoa is listed as being 5'11 and 208 pounds. This was head coach Mike Loxley during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on using Billy Edwards as a short yardage runner. You know, obviously in the short yardage situation uh, with Leah, we're trying to minimize the the extra hits that he took uh, or he takes. Uh, Billy's a bigger body. You know, obviously it's something that we've practiced and and, and put in, you know, the push play where we 
get a bigger body, try to create an apex. You know, the first time the ball kind of squirted through there, we were very fortunate to come up, but it was that type of night, man. And, and you know, the best thing about it was that as bad as things played out for us, that we still found a way to win. We still found a way to, to kind of not lose it. And, and I've seen this team kind of lose it in the past where we start off slow and it just is a snowball. But these guys stuck together and fought through. Um, Billy adds a different element because of his size and also uh, to take some of the hits off of Leah. And that does make sense. Uh, the Terps defense in this 38-20 win over Charlotte gave up that 48-yard touchdown pass on the opening drive of the game, but the defense ended up being good in the game. You look at Charlotte, it scored 20 points, but seven came via the Talia Tungavailoa pick six. The Terps defense only allowed 13 points. The Terps held Charlotte to just two of 10 on third downs, and the Terps over a stretch of eight consecutive Charlotte offensive drives forced six straight punts and then generated two straight turnovers. Uh, next up for Maryland, home to Virginia this Friday night at seven. Here was some more from Mike Loxley during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. Didn't meet the standard today. You know, our standard is to start fast and finish strong, and we didn't do either one of those two things. And we're still able to come away with a, a, a pretty good win. And so for us, you know, nobody in the locker room is excited about how we played, but we, we, we overcame some adversity, early adversity, which kind of uh, showed me that we're the type of team that I thought we could be. Um, we battled back after a slow start. I didn't see anybody panic, saw us kind of keep plugging away. Um, our defense really held them in check, minus uh, the first drive and that, that last drive. And now we've got a quick turnaround on us with uh, Virginia coming into the shell Friday night, which forces everything up a day early for us. And so we've got to, instead of the 24-hour uh, turnaround, we've got to kind of enjoy it now, get recovered. Uh, as a coaching staff, we've got to put this one to bed pretty quickly and start our preparation for UVA. Um, who comes in here again on Friday. And I know, again, our team isn't excited about how we played. I was really glad to see us come and, and, and fight through the adversity together. And it kind of showed me, like I said, that we are that type of team. And what we got to do now is clean up some of the stuff that uh, hurt us early in the game, some poor decisions there, the, the couple of interceptions, the turnovers. You know, those are all things that we can get corrected and we'll need to get corrected pretty quickly. And speaking of Virginia, uh, a wild game for the Cavaliers on Saturday. They fell to 0-2 with a 36-35 loss to James Madison at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon in a game that featured a lightning delay of more than an hour. Uh, this was Virginia football's first home game since the tragedy this past November 13th when a former Virginia running back shot and killed three Virginia football players and shot and wounded two other Virginia students, including another Virginia football player. The three Virginia players who were killed were receiver Lavelle Davis Jr., receiver Devin Chandler, and linebacker slash defensive end Deshaun Perry. The Virginia player who was wounded was running back Mike Collins. The uh, three players who were killed were honored in a pregame ceremony. Also, believe it or not, this was the first football game between Virginia and James Madison since September 17th, 1983. It had been 40 years since UVA and JMU had played each other in football. But JMU, which was favored by more than a touchdown, won 
Uh, JMU students, in fact, stormed the Scott Stadium field after the game, uh, even though the game was a road game for JMU. And this was a crazy game. The Cavs overcame a 14-0 first quarter deficit, but blew a 35-24 fourth quarter lead. The Cavs starting quarterback was true freshman Anthony Calandria. Uh, as the Cavs QB won, the uh, Monmouth transfer, Tony Musket, did not play due to an injured left shoulder that he suffered in the Cavs season opening 49-13 loss to then number 12 Tennessee at uh, Nissan Stadium in Nashville on September 2nd. But Calandria did a nice job. He went 20 of 26 for 377 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He did take four sacks, and he did quarterback a UVA offense that went just 4-13 on third downs. But Calandria averaged a whopping 14.5 yards per pass attempt, thanks in large part to two touchdown bombs. Calandria had a first quarter, first and 10, 63-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver and Northwestern transfer Malik Washington, who on the play generated multiple missed tackles. And Calandria, on the first offensive play of the third quarter, had a first and 10, 75-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to running back Kobe Pace on a play in which Calandria threw deep off running up the pocket and to his right. So some good stuff from Anthony Calandria. A major negative for the Cavs uh, was their rushing offense. UVA running backs Mike Hollins, Paris Jones, and Kobe Pace combined for 28 carries for just 48 yards. Uh, That works out to a yards per carry of just 1.71. Hollins, though, did have two touchdown runs, and Pace had a touchdown run in addition to his 75-yard touchdown reception. Uh, The Wahoos' defense was mixed, but it, in the fourth quarter, gave up two JMU touchdown drives, each of which was an eight-play, 80-yard drive. Uh, The Hoos did have two key defensive players who did not play in the season-opening loss to Tennessee. Edge defender Chico Bennett Jr., who did not play in the season opener due to a knee injury, and safety Antonio Clary, who did not play in the season opener due to a high ankle sprain. And also, the Hoos in the first quarter had a punt that was blocked for a touchdown. Virginia just is not very good. I am interested to see who head coach Tony Elliott starts at quarterback at Maryland this Friday night. Uh, Elliott, during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon, said that players do not lose their starting jobs due to injury. That would be an indication that Tony Musket will start if healthy. But Anthony Calandria did some very good things. Uh, also, with some quarterback uncertainty, is Virginia Tech. It fell to 1-1 one and one with a 24-17 loss to Purdue at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday, in a game that featured a thunderstorm delay that lasted for 5 hours and 27 minutes. Yeah, a delay of 5 hours and 27 minutes. Uh, the Hokies overcame a 17-0 second quarter deficit to tie the game at 17 shortly before halftime, but they then lost the second half 7-0. Maybe the biggest news from this game was that two key Hokies receivers, Old Dominion transfer Ali Jennings and Middle Tennessee State transfer Jalen Lane, got injured. Uh, now, the extents of the injuries were not yet known, but Jennings' left foot was in a boot. So we'll see what the deals are with those guys. And we'll see what happens now at quarterback for Tech. Uh, Grant Wells, who beat out Baylor transfer Kyron Drones to win the Hokies' starting quarterback job, despite Wells having had a bad 2022 season of having transferred from Marshall, had a rough game. Uh, Wells completed just 16 of his 33 pass attempts through two interceptions and took three sacks. He did have two touchdown passes, but Wells got dinged up 
according to head coach Brent Pry during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. And so Pry went with drones late in the game. Uh, drones completed just two of his seven pass attempts for no touchdowns and no interceptions. He did have a 13-yard run and did take no sacks. This was Pry during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. Uh, whether he considered pulling wells in favor of drones sooner than Pry did. We talked about it the series before, and uh, you know Grant really wanted to go. It, it just uh, it was was dinged up, and you know I think um, he gave, he gave us the best chance we felt like to throw the ball, which is what we needed to do. Um, you know, and just with, with the injury, he couldn't escape the rush, and I don't think he was stepping into his throws like he needed to. Tough spot to put Kyron in, two and a half minutes minus eight nine yard line. I thought he did really well considering the situation we put him in. Well, also part of uh, Tech's situation was the team's rushing offense being bad for a second time in as many games this season. Running backs Malachi Thomas and Bashal Tootin combined for 14 carries for just 22 yards. Uh, that works out to a yards per carry of just one. Point five seven. Uh, Tech's defense was mixed, but it was bad against the run for a second time in as many games this season. Tech allowed Purdue running backs Devin Mockaby, Tyrone Tracy Jr., and Dylan Downing to combine for 31 carries for 168 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, next up for Virginia Tech at Rutgers this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Navy, uh, it improved to 1-1 one one with a 24-0 win over Wagner at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland on Saturday in a game that was delayed twice for a total of an hour and 32 minutes due to lightning in the area. Uh, Wagner is an FCS school. This was Navy's first shutout win since December 2008, and it was Navy's first home shutout win since October 1994. It had been a while. Uh, Navy head coach Brian Newberry went into the game with a plan to play two quarterbacks, starter Ty Lovatai and backup Blake Horvath. Uh, Newberry actually ended up playing three quarterbacks uh, due to the game being a blowout. Lovatai played for the majority of the game. It was good. He went 8-13 for 161 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, took no sacks, and he had 16 carries for 65 yards. Navy may have a kicker problem, by the way. Uh, Evan Warren went just one of three on field goals, including a third quarter 31-yard field goal attempt being blocked. He over two games this season is just a two of five on field goals. Next up for Navy at Memphis this Thursday night at 730. Uh, also on Saturday were conference openers for Liberty and Old Dominion. Each team won and thanks to terrific quarterback play, Liberty improved to 2-0 overall, including 1-0 in Conference USA with a 33-17 win over New Mexico State at Williams Stadium in Lynchburg, Virginia on Saturday evening, marking Liberty's first conference win since leaving the Big South Conference as an FCS member in 2017. The Flames offense was flaming. Uh, Liberty put up 526 total net yards of offense. Quarterback Caden Salter, 15-25 for 276 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions. He took no sacks and he had nine carries for 43 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, next up for Liberty at Buffalo this Saturday at noon. Old Dominion improved to 1-1 one one overall, including 1-0 in the Sunbelt Conference with a 38-31 win over Louisiana at S.B. Ballard Stadium in Norfolk, Virginia on Saturday evening in a game for which the start was delayed for about an hour uh, due to thunderstorms. 
Storms. ODU quarterback Grant Wilson, a transfer from Fordham, he went 13 of 19 for 247 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. Did take three sacks, but he also had a touchdown run. He accounted for five touchdowns. Uh, Next up for ODU, home to Wake Forest this Saturday at noon. And by the way, next up for James Madison off its big win at Virginia at Troy this Saturday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 649. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders as we on Monday expect to have the day after the game press conference of head coach Ron Rivera off the 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles and that's on Monday evening at 635 of game one of a four-game series at the Pittsburgh Pirates. The O's on Monday evening at 6.35 have game one of a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Monday, and they'll talk to you on Tuesday. We're a family. That's one. It's one for the city. It's all you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.